Justified. Before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land which I'm on today, the land of the Darug people, whose cultures and customs have nurtured and continue to nurture this land since the dream time. I pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Today's episode is one I've been looking forward to for a long time now, as we dive into the world of all advocacy in the legal profession, in particular, mooting during law school. Alongside me is our MALS Director of Competitions for 2022, Taylor McCoy, and our special guest, Abby Cooper. A big welcome to you both, and thank you both so, so much for giving up your time to be here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so before we get into it, I want our listeners to truly understand and appreciate who I'm speaking with for this episode. So I'll give a quick bio for the both of you. And a word of caution, these are two amazingly talented individuals with more achievements than I can list. So to all listening, please bear with me. Okay, so first of all, we have Taylor McCoy. Taylor's competed in 11 different competitions during law school, stretching across client interview, negotiations, and mooting, winning five of them. Taylor's also represented Macquarie at the Australian Law Student Association Client Interview Competition and in the Michael Kirby Contract Law Moot and ended up acting as our competition director within MULS. Abby has graduated from Macquarie University in 2020 with first class honours and has since worked as an associate at the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia. Abby has also mooted extensively during law school, winning the MULS Criminal Law Moot in 2020 being named Best Oralist in the Australian Law Student Association International American Law Moot, and representing Macquarie at the 2021 Jessup International Law Moot. So I really hope this shows that I am joined by highly accomplished competitors for this episode. So once again, thank you both so, so much for being here. Okay, so if we want to dive straight into it, Abby, in your my own words and from, from your experience, what is mooting? Uh, so I like to explain it to people that aren't familiar as like a mock trial, but where there aren't any witnesses. So it's Mm -hmm. basically just a professional conversation between you and the judge or the judges uh, where you run them through your case uh, within within the set timeframe that you have. So it's it's giving your submissions, if we're going to use the correct terminology there, Mm -hmm. uh, and telling the court essentially uh, what what you believe your case is or what, mm. what you're putting your case as uh, yeah. in, in the form of both oral submissions and you will also, in most moots, deliver some form of written submissions as well. Did you find that during the mooting process you tended to work on oral submissions or written submissions or was it equal distribution of workload? Uh, it's very much an equal distribution. I mean, it really depends on the moot and the team. Uh, You know, for a lot of the Mulls internal moots, you'll have a much smaller team. For the bigger international ones or the inter-varsity ones, you'll have usually a larger team. Uh, But the work does need to be split evenly over everybody, even though there will only really be two people speaking at max. Mm. Um, So, but, But we all pitch in to do the written side of it because that's where your case is formed. So the written submissions obviously go in earlier than the actual competition date. So everybody needs to pull together, do the research, do the Mm -hmm. writing, maybe split it up by sections. That's how we always did it or different issues and then sometimes swapped. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, uh, we we all worked on the research and we all worked on the written submissions. And then based on practices, we would choose who was going to speak. And we've sort of already kind of delved into that a little bit, but what skills do you think mooting tests from your experience? 
So obviously your writing is the first big one from that. Uh, you know, writing in plain English, I think, is a really, mm, really excellent definitely. skill that, that it tests uh, because you need to be able to convey your submissions, your case in a no-nonsense manner, right? Uh, yes, it's still got a bit of, of a legal flavour to it, um, but essentially it should be able to be picked up by anybody and and read and understood and kind of see where you're going and the point that you're trying to make. Mm. So I think writing is a big one in, in a legal fashion but in a clear fashion. Mm. So that, that's sort of the distinction there. Uh, the next big one I would say is research, particularly for your bigger moots. For your mulls internal ones, there's still a fair bit of research, but because there's a shorter time turnaround, mm. you don't take as much of a deep, deep dive. Like for Jessup, we went well down the rabbit hole. We went well <laughs> down unproductive rabbit holes. So, but but it te- it teaches you those skills of, you know, what are the websites that I want to go to to figure out where I can get the best information? What are places where I don't get great information? What are the techniques that I can use to really narrow down the amount of time I spend looking for the answer as such? So research was was, was another big one. And then, you know, it's, it's almost once you've gone through that whole process, almost an afterthought that you then get to things like oral advocacy. So, mm-hmm. you know, tone, uh, speed, mannerisms, and also... What, what I think the core skill in mooting is that's different from, say, debating or public speaking or any other form of oral presentation is this professional conversation. Mm, it's yeah. using the professional language, but it's also having that, that rapport with the bench, so having that rapport with the judges and being able to foster this uh, relationship that's kind of about professionalism and it's about trying to... T- to come together to understand the case. The judges will challenge you. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of me as a judge, you'll know that I can be <laughs> quite sassy. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it tests, you know, that skill in particular, that professional conversation, such that if you get thrown a really spicy question, you know, how do you take that? How do you then handle that and wrangle that back into, you know, a space where you're back in control and you're telling the judge what you want to tell them. And so that kind of thinking on your feet as well is probably the, the the last big thing I would say in terms of skills. Yeah, and you touched upon it already, but I think the ability to actually engage with your judges is very unique to Moody because in debating and public speaking, you wouldn't actually engage with the person who's quite literally marking and seeing how you present. And having been on the receiving end of having you as a judge, it really does make you think on your feet because obviously you do have your submissions and you have your arguments that you've made in advance but I think especially those questions you do get the left field ones that make you think outside the box um, which you really do love to ask I think those are something that really does make mooting a different challenge now this is actually a brilliant segue because we're really talking about it but you've mentioned that the ability to write in a no-nonsense manner and really write in a plain English capacity is something that you develop in mooting and is something that's also very much highly regarded in law school so what did your law school experience actually look like as not only an accomplished competitor and mooter throughout your degree but someone who's also balancing multiple subjects and applying the same skills throughout so I actually didn't come to mooting to, to mooting until uh, my fifth year. 
uh, I really, really regret leaving it that late. So my number one recommendation to anybody listening is to get involved way earlier. Uh, you know, you just run out of time. Uh, but for me, I was particularly in my fifth year because I was trying to get into the honours thesis subject to, to get the first class honours. I was doing the big electives where you've got the big essays and, and things like that. Mm. Uh, and, and I was still working two jobs, one of which was my my job as an army reserve officer. So I was I was pretty busy. Uh, but it's it's just a case of it's like another subject that you just mm. have to time in to to your sort of weekly schedule, if you will, you know. And and the great thing is if you pick a competition that is on a subject that you really like, uh, or is on a subject that you've already done, you've got mm. like the base the base to to build off of that. And the mm. more senior you are in your law degree, yes, the more of an upper hand you have in that sense. But by the same token, that shouldn't dissuade you if that makes sense. So I definitely found that there was a big difference in my writing style from mm. the start of my fifth year to the end of my fifth year after I had experience in not just writing for a teacher that's going to mark my essay or my hypothetical, but yeah. writing in, a, in an actual persuasive manner. So, of course, when you're writing your hypotheticals, as I'm sure everybody knows for your subjects, you'll mm. often take a bit more of a guarded approach. The most mm. assertive that you'll get is a phrase like most likely, the court mm. will most likely find. When you're writing submissions, and this is how it works in the real world too, when you're writing submissions, you don't say the court could or the court may or the court might. You need to write in that clear and concise manner that's also respectfully assertive so mm-hmm. it's it's not, oh, this is obviously wrong or this is obviously the case. Yeah. It's just this principle is demonstrated by X, Y, Z cases, legal principles, legislation, whatever the case may be. And then on the facts of this scenario that we have, that should, that should apply. That mm-hmm. does apply. Uh, so it takes your writing into it from, from what I'll call a more passive to a little bit more of an assertive flavour and... Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's in that respect, in that side of your question, I would say that that's, that's sort of the answer. There was a marked, I would say, improvement, actually, in, in my writing from not having mooted through to the end of my fifth year having mooted. Mm. Um, and in terms of, yeah, as you were talking about time balance, it's just factor it in as another subject, devote the time to mm. it that you would devote to an essay. Mm. Think about it in that way. Think about it like an essay or a hypothetical. Um, so, and just devote that amount of time to it mm. I suspect I might know the answer to this question but I'm <laughs> gonna ask and I throw it to Sammy as well but do you have a favorite memory from your mooting experience so for for Jessup we were fortunate enough mm. well normally uh, you only get to compete at the nationals because only the top two now four thanks to our year thank goodness uh, now the top four Australian teams will go through and actually compete in person in Washington in the states but oh, because wow. of COVID, yeah, I know, it's very exciting. And there are tons of moots with international opportunities, like Nelson Mandela's in Geneva. And mm. there, there is a huge opportunity to take your mood in global, and it's an unreal mm. opportunity. Uh, but for us, love in the time of COVID, uh, we were the first Jessup year where they took every single team in the world to globals, but we did it virtually. So we competed against universities from Ukraine, may it be okay, <laughs> um, you know, online. 
Mm. And and that meant that we were competing at odd hours of the night. Like there were some moots that we were going into that started at 11 p.m. and mm. they would go for about two and a half hours. And we were doing that from the Macquarie Uni uh, Law School building, or rather the arts building. And security would often come along and be like, "What are you still doing here?" Like <laughs> <laughs> that was very entertaining. But because we got to go to the globals, it meant that. And because the problem question was very COVID-y based, mm. uh, one of the main elements of the question was, are border restrictions lawful under international mm. law, basically? Oh. Uh, there were a lot of opinions from the bench and from our competitors about the mm. right way to do things. And now, of course, Australia, in the scheme of things, had quite a strict border regime mm. and it worked well. Whereas other countries that were like, let the borders open, didn't mm. have such a great time. Mm-hmm. So when we were in one of the advanced rounds, we had a judge from the States, we had a judge from coming live from London, uh, and then we had one from Nepal, I think, on this one bench. Okay. So variety of experiences there. And I was senior counsel for the hypothetical country that wanted to do a complete lockout, Right as soon as it assessed that its neighbour had over like a thousand cases, it was like, bam, shut, shut the border down. And so yeah. I was arguing that that was lawful under the international health regulations because mm. the country had assessed that they had a zero risk threshold and they were entitled to enforce that zero risk threshold. So I was running submissions about that. And the London judge pipes up, and, and this is going to be a very terrible British accent, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, well here in London, we have uh, just enforced a curfew at Heathrow, and we have, uh, you know, enforced a, a quarantine in Heathrow, and that's been quite devastating on our economy. What, what would you say to that, Council? And because I had been grilled by Fareed, Koreshi so many times and by <laughs> so many times. Beloved coach, beloved coach. Uh, the answer, this following answer was out of my mouth before I realised it was. And it was with respect, Your Excellency, because judges in the uh, International Court of Justice are Your Excellency, not Your Honour. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect, Your Excellency, I don't think London, Heathrow, or indeed the United Kingdom are examples of how to control a pandemic. Oh. <laughs> and it was out there, you know. Oh my God. And I had like, I had Maddie Cotton and like, I'm pretty sure it was Katie Hoffman as like the junior counsel and the solicitor. I could just feel them shriveling in their seats next to me. And I've just stood there and I'm just like, keep your face neutral because I'm on camera. Don't portray that that was a bit too much. But I was saved by the American just going, (laughs) bursting out laughing. And even the British judge had to chuck himself on mute so that he could have a little chuckle. (laughs) That's so funny. It's stuck. (laughs) Man, I couldn't do that. I've done something similar. I've done something similar. I had um, another beloved Moles alumni, Andy Dong, as a judge. And he asked me what he knew was a really rough question. And it was in a contract law moot in like one of the earlier rounds. And he just threw the most like random, like philosophical question my way. And then said, wouldn't you agree, counsel? And I just said, no. (laughs) (laughs) And and Andy... And in feedback, Andy was like, I know what you meant, but you can't say no. 
Yeah, they ask us all these questions, they expect us to have an answer, but we're as clueless as they are in this regard. We have no idea what's going on half the time. It makes uh, it very difficult. Yeah, my memory isn't as fun as that. I haven't had that much fun in a movie before. Um, favorite memory from movie probably for me is the late night that you pull the day before the move when mm. I think it was for the international humanitarian law moot that we did last semester. Uh, I think I was up till the early hours of the morning um, texting our group chat and writing in our Google Doc all the different counter arguments that we can think of and I'm getting replies and we're all active and working on it. Um, for me, I love that part of mooting, the way you can kind of predict, okay, what's the other team gonna say? How can we respond to that preemptively? And really hyping yourself up because you think, okay, I have all these arguments prepared. None of them work in the actual mood, but, in that period of time, it's always the most fun to do. Yeah, the hype up with the team the day before, the night before, it's just such, like, a great camaraderie. Like, you build such a strong bond with your team. Like, I can only really speak from experience doing a couple of intervarsities and internal moots, but, Abby, mm. I imagine the bond with your Jessup competitors and teammates, like, that's would just be second to none. Massively close uh, mm. because, of course, Jessup, it's an eight-month battle let's call it, uh, <laughs> and, you know, trying to smash out things like, you know, the written submissions for Jessup are 10,000 words each and you need to produce a, a written submission for both sides. So you've got to produce two of those. Mm. Yes, you've got a team of five, but because it's always on like some really obscure points of international law where there really are no answers in international law, it's kind of anything goes. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's like you can do all this research and you're no closer to finding an answer kind of thing. So it meant that we were pulling very long hours. Mm. Um, you know, there are so many times that I snapped. Uh, you can ask Shireen about that. I, I got my back up at her one one evening. It was not good. Um, <laughs> but the, the closeness that comes as a result of that mm. is, as you said, second to none, right? You know, we, it's, it's a, and an intellect, intellectual blood, sweat and tears kind of situation and mm. the amount of practice moots we also then did together. So it's not just being in the room, researching together, writing together, but going through the same pain of Shireen and Fareed finding the most difficult and hurtful judges they can so that when you come through the other side of that practice and you get quizzed by these international judges, you sit here and you go, this isn't even that bad, which mm. can backfire, as I said in my story, when you used to say <laughs> so. Yeah, I think something underrated about mooting is the fact that because you do work in a team of four with two speaking roles and two solicitors, you do work quite closely in order to research everything yourself, write it out yourself, practice yourself. So I think that's definitely an underrated part of mooting. I know that I've been lucky to have mooted with very not only capable people, but also very hardworking people. So we'd all be up until the late hours of the morning, all of us working on different things, tailoring one of them, and it, it goes on and on. So I think that's a really, really fun part of it. But it's also daunting on the same token, especially when you step into law school and you're not familiar with what it is, you've watched Suits and you still don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> so across the year... It's not like it, Suits. <laughs> it's, oh, not it's not like, like suits. suits. Oh, it's not like Suits. I wish. We're not that good. Um, so across the year, we've collected some common questions from students about mooting and or advocacy. So I've collected a bunch and to ask the both of you. Um, some common ones that we get is, 
from someone who said who may say they've never done public speaking or debating before um it's really hard for them to present especially in front of crowds and it just doesn't come as naturally to them and they might ask is mooting right for them um so looking back at your own experiences i'll throw it to taylor first and then abby um what do you guys think about that i mean it definitely can be uh in the first instance, it's nothing that you can't practice and work on. And I think that mooting is a great forum to do so because you're able to prepare so much in advance. Um, it's not like debating where you have like an hour or whatever it was in high school to prepare your arguments. Like you have mm. a decent amount of time. You can have material in front of you. Um, it's And it's definitely a, a good environment if you're interested in learning and getting better at like public speaking and oral advocacy. It's a good environment to do that. But like we've been saying this whole time, it's a team of four, right? Like two people get up and present and then there's two people who put in the hard yards behind the scene and sit there passing notes on the bench table and um, do a lot of the research and find the nitty gritty in in whatever the case might be. So if mm-hmm. you're really into legal research and legal problem solving, but you're not as mm-hmm. keen on the oral advocacy side, there's still a place in the mooting team for you. And mm-hmm. then that might be the way to get your foot in the door to watch other people present um, oral submissions and mm. feel more comfortable with it that way. So there's definitely, no matter what your comfort level is, a way to get involved in mooting. I would 100% echo, echo that. And I think that Shireen and Fareed put it best when they're putting out nominations for Jessup and they say, we're not looking for brilliant oralists. We're not even looking for people with a ton of mooting experience because that can all be taught you know, mm. practice, you can learn, you can learn how to be a good advocate, oral advocate, even if it terrifies you. Um, but what you can't learn is like work ethic and mm. actual interest in the subject matter. So I would say that really the only criteria to get involved with mooting is that you're interested in the subject matter of, of the particular moot. Like, for example, I probably, I love mooting. I love it to death, but I probably wouldn't do a contracts moot. Don't know how you've got the patience, Taylor. No, I love them. That's um, so good. But it's it's to each their own, right? Uh, so mm. if you've got, got that drive and you've got that passion and you really, you know, like you're good at your research, but even if you're not, again, another skill that can be taught, practice, learning. I, If you compare like my first moot in, in the first round of the crim moot to my last one in Jessup, they're just, they're not the same person at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I think the perfect story of this is actually, and I'm sure Katie won't mind me talking about this, is um, Katie Hoffman, one of the girls on, on my Jessup team. She joined the Jessup team petrified of speaking. She straight up said to them, I'm a research girl. I'm doing research only. That is it. You know, mm-hmm. do not have me speak. During our first practice moot, there were periods of like five whole minutes where she just wouldn't speak and just she'd be flushed red and she was so... Uh, you know, being practice mood, training environment, um, but, you know, was just really, really nervous, really, really scared. Mm-hmm. Did the practice, did the training, and she ended up competing in the global octo finals as my junior counsel, you know, as, as an oralist and really like held her own. Like octo finals, that's top 16 in the world, right? So she went from not wanting to speak at all to, you know, and, and that's in the space of like six months. But that's even if you're counting written preparation time in terms of oral preparation time, that's like it was about four months maybe. Mm-hmm. So if you're scared of speaking, if you're, you know, you're not sure that you could be an oralist, that is absolutely no bar to you 
being involved in mooting and you developing those skills. In fact, I think mooting is the place to hone those skills so that you mm. have them when you step out into the workforce as opposed to I need to come to mooting as the biggest and the best. It's not the case at all. Yeah, no. and especially with the judges as well. I know that after every single moot I've done, the judges actually give you feedback on your style of speaking, what you can improve upon. And in the end, you are presenting to roughly seven people in the room, which is a lot more of a comforting notion compared to presenting to, let's say, a group of 30. So I think even though it is absolutely terrifying, and I can attest to that, um, having not done much public speaking in high school, um, it definitely was an environment for me to kind of develop those skills um, over time. And I was lucky to have started in first year. So you can develop them as you go. So I think that's that's really useful. Um, something else I wanted to ask the both of you was that everyone has their own style when it comes to mooting, particularly our advocacy, because everyone has different ways of speaking, different ways of presenting their arguments. Um, this is to everyone here. What tips did you pick up during law school that helped you excel in mooting? whether it was about how you present your argument or just speaking style in general, because I know that it can be a big source of tension for students when they kind of realize that there isn't one size fits all when it comes to being an advocate. So how did you guys find that? Um, I think my big thing on the research side of things with mooting was like really focus on refining the way that you summarize cases and keep case briefs and case summaries that, like was something I learned straight off the bat was if you have really good case notes and case summaries at hand that are easily digestible, that will save mm -hmm. your life. Um, so, and that is something that you learn in first year in foundations of law and will carry you through the rest of your law school journey as well. Like being able to summarize cases effectively um, and succinctly helps outside of mooting as well. So they're kind of two peas in a pod in that respect. Um, mm -hmm. I think in terms of like stylistically, like you said, everyone's really unique. Um, and I think um, the great thing about Macquarie um, advocates is the flair and the style that we have to the way that we present, like we're not robots. And I think that that's a good thing. Like, obviously mm -hmm. you still need to have a very professional tone and still watch your tone, your pace and stylistic sort of like guidelines that you should, there's, there's still stylistic guidelines you should adhere to, but I think the way in which Macquarie advocates still allow their personality to shine through is a good thing. I think it actually brings um, something else to the mood and it makes you like makes building a rapport with the bench far easier if the bench can kind of get a feel for who you are. So I, mm -hmm. I would say don't try and fit into a box. Don't try and be like, a robot because that's not necessarily going to do anything for you or your advocacy. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And that was the journey that I took myself. So I wasn't a huge debater in high school. I was a huge public speaker because I loved that I had my five minutes and I had my palm cards or I had my memorized <laughs> speech and I knew exactly every single word that I was going to say and when I was going to say it and the hand gestures that I was going to use and everything was just in my perfect little bubble. So mooting actually terrified me, the idea that I could be in the middle of a beautiful submission and I just get some sassy question from a judge and I didn't know how I would handle that. So mm. that's why I didn't go to mooting until much, much later. Yeah. So the, the main thing that I picked up is that I'm going to throw this out here right now. I hate American court TV shows only <laughs> because they present the most unrealistic 
Oh, definitely. Display of advocacy, at least as far as this country is concerned. So mm. I didn't want to be like that. However, I think Taylor's point about Macquarie, the way that we train and the way that we judge and the way that we, you know, sort of work together ends up bringing out these advocates who have a personality, who are what I'll call professionally persuasive. I think that mm. that's the real thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to be somebody who engaged with a judge because I saw the power that that had. So mm. again, this professional conversation is what I'm going to keep coming back to because I see it now, you know, in, in my, in my job as an associate, that's, that's the level that you, that you want to be at. You don't want to be this person who can just like word vomit the law. Mm. In fact, most, most times that's actually really not all that important. You know, you've done your research, you know it, but so does the judge. They want to hear what you have to say about the facts. They want to hear what you have to say about how the facts tie to the law. They mm. want to be persuaded. And because judges have read your written submissions, and this goes for Mooting and the real world, because they've read them ahead of time, they've, it's not that they've prejudged the matter but they've got, a, no. they've got an idea in their head, right? So you yeah. need to come in and you need to be this person who is like, I see you, Your Honour, I'm with you. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk this out. And, you know, getting to that kind of comfortable level where you, you are kind of having this back and forth with a judge is really what I strive to get to mm. and to walk that fine line where it's not theatrical, it's not... Right overbearing it's not um that i'm being too pushy or or you know anything like that it's just you know if it's it's persuasive but in a professional manner if that Mm. makes sense so it's it's respectful answers to questions and whatnot and again this all i would call it it's like a judgment that kind of happens in the moment which you gain with practice but that's kind of the journey that i've been on and yeah taylor taylor hit the nail right on the head there with Advocates with personality is the Macquarie brand and it's such a good Macquarie brand. Mm. Yeah, and I think something that really helps people develop their skills is they can align with their interests. I know that there are so many different types of moots out there. There are so many. So many. I can rattle them off. (laughs) I think being director of comps does give you that advantage. Um, Yes. But it does give you an area and opportunity to moot in an area that you're interested in. So I think this question might be a bit more directed towards our lovely director of comms here. Taylor, what opportunities are there to get involved in mooting, especially if you haven't done it before and you're looking to dip your feet in the water but not do everything just yet? Sure. Um, So we do run um, workshops at the start of every year. So definitely at the start of each year, keep your eye out if you want to come along and just learn a bit more about what mooting's like. They're also recorded and on our website. So moles.org, if you want to listen to the ones that we did this year and just get a bit of a feel for what mooting's about, um, listening to this podcast is also a great first step. Um, In terms of the competitions that we run, so this semester in session two, we run both the novice and the foundations of law moot competition. Mm -hmm. So the Gilbert and Tobin novice law moot is for second and third third year law students who haven't yet done a moot before so if you've um still looking to get involved in mooting but you missed out on the foundations of law um first year moot that's completely fine sign up for novice um it's in the preliminary rounds it's a criminal law question so Mm. i think that's quite popular with um 
second and third list students most people like to do the criminal side of things it's quite Mm. exciting and um interesting to talk about and then the final um the finals question is a contracts question so it does test both sides of your knowledge um I love a good contracts question I find them really logical and (laughs) you get to delve into like case law and appellate law so it's really interesting um for first year students we have the herbert smith freehills foundations of law moot so that's just for first years so you won't Mm. have scary fifth years like abby coming in and mooting against you you'll just be with other first years um and it's a good way to kind of judge you yes sorry well yeah Abby will be judging, um, but be nice. people be like nice. Abby will be judging. Really but is. it's, yeah, it's definitely a, a nice supportive environment where everyone's on the same playing field, um, everyone's in the same boat, and it's just based on what you learn in Foundations of Law. So there's no mm. real need to have any prerequisite knowledge or anything like that. So that would definitely be my recommendation um, for people in their later years of law school who are looking to get involved. There are still a heap of other competitions that we run. Um, mm-hmm. So... For example, ones that I could recommend this year, we're doing um, two really niche um, subject matter area moots this semester. So we have the Clyde & Co private law moot. So that covers um, topics like biz orgs, equity and trusts, tort law. So mm-hmm. it just covers a wide range of civil law matters. So if you're in your like later years of law school, that might be something that really interests you. It's great if you're looking into clerkships and things like that because it gives you that exposure to advocacy in those areas. And then we also have the Ashurst Diversity and Pride Law Moot. So that one is really great because it covers a wide spectrum of areas of law. Sammy and I did it last year. It's great. Um, But it really um, is a unique opportunity to square with um, the, you know, nuance and the the connection between really prevalent um, social issues and how Mm -hmm. the law interacts with that. And in oftentimes how the law is behind so and how we can meet those challenges as advocates so it's definitely a really great moot um if you're interested in social justice it's the moot to do um so yeah those would be my recommendations for those looking to get involved but I think just putting your hand up for something Mm. you're never going to go wrong putting your hand up so just just go for it Nike (laughs) just do it (laughs) yeah and I think especially knowing that Taylor has also done another smooth. I've done the founders smooth. There were really good ways for us to get an introduction into what meeting is all about, particularly the founders one, because everyone there is a first year. So you're all on an equal playing field. Um, so it's a really good way for you to develop your skills and I guess become a stronger mooder in a more comfortable environment, mm. particularly early on. So it's a really, really good uh, opportunity for all the younger law students listening out there. And I feel like I should say as well, given this is like an oral advocacy podcast, um, if you're really into mock trial and mooting might not be your thing, we also do do witness examination, which might be a separate cup of tea. But just for those who might be interested in oral mm. advocacy, but more interested in the witness side of things, we do do that as well. So, um, and that is also this session. So that's something else to keep in mind for people as well. With yeah. just, just one thing I'd probably point out is that with all these competitions, yes, you've got scary people like me coming to judge, um, but everybody who's judging you is a former guru to themselves or is mm. a guru to themselves, mm. and they know when to push you and when to not push you, right? Mm. Yeah. So the, the thing is, if you're getting a lot of really difficult questions from me, that means you're doing a really great job. 
So oh, yeah. good is, to know. If you're stressed about going into something like Foundies or Novice and being hit with these questions that you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do, I wouldn't know how to answer, you know, the judges are going to kind of warm up and build build you up in that sense, right? Because it mm. is, and, and even at other internal mulls moots, it's kind of like a read the room type situation mm. because yeah. a moot at the end of the day is a simulated environment. It yeah. is, even though it's competition, it's a training opportunity. Yeah. And the judges recognise that. So if you're worried about getting asked these questions that are going to make you feel really uncomfortable, just know that, you know, you will you will get built into it. You may get a really rogue and really bizarre question first up out the gate. But then mm-hmm. if you say, you know, I can't assist the court, I don't know the answer to that one, you know, it's going to back off from there because the judge is gauging the level that you're at. And then you're going to get feedback, as Sammy said, after the moot which is then going to help you take it to the next level so that the next time you're asked that hairy question Mm. you're going to be able to answer it so you know I I wouldn't be too afraid because that was my big concern going into mooting is that Mm. oh my god there's all these really experienced judges and it's very very scary and they could ask me anything they could literally ask me anything and they could just barrage like just be hit with a barrage of questions but they mm. do ease you into it. And I didn't even start with a foundies or a novice moot. I went straight into the crim moot. So, mm. you know, it there is that level of understanding there if that's concerning people. Yeah. And the moots that we have both internally and externally, they cover so many areas of law from, and Taylor can probably list them all off by heart, but there's contract law, criminal law, environmental law, technology law, there are so many different areas of interest that it can align with for students. I think that's another really underrated part of mooting that if you have an interest, chances are there is a move for it. So it's a really good way for you to develop your skills in an area that you enjoy. Now we've already touched upon it, so it's a good way to transition towards this new topic. But we know that mooting in particular during law school, it does help you develop your skills as an oral advocate which can be particularly appealing if you do wish to pursue a career as an oral advocate in the legal profession. So Abby, I wanted to ask you, what skills did you gain through mooting, which I'm assuming are transferable, which have really assisted you in your professional career after uni? So, I mean, I, I haven't gone and practiced law yet. I would just like to preface that. <laughs> uh, my, my job at the moment is I get to watch a lot of law. So a lot of the, uh, transferable skills I would say I've observed them in other people and Mm. these other people are like barristers right so this is this is actually something that's really crazy about about mooting is that it is within a condensed time frame the exact environment you will face when you go to court whether it whether it's a directions hearing in front of a registrar or Mm. whether it's a final defended hearing in front of a you know a full bench so it tests not only the written advocacy skills in that you're writing a professional, uh, you know, legal submission that you are going to file in the registry with the court, which is then going to be read by a judge. Mm. But it's also then testing your skills in terms of, as I said, having that professional conversation with the bench, Mm. making an argument and being able to make an argument in a way that is clear, concise, And, you know, it's easy to lead a judge through. I think people forget that judges are humans as well. They've got a lot, they've got got a lot going on upstairs as somebody who, you know, works with one. (laughs) Um, And they definitely operate on a higher level. 
but they are a human as well who forgets things and does need to be reminded of things. And mm. so even when you're talking to a really experienced judge, just like you will in a moot, you need to lead them through what, you know, what, what, what the law is and what the statute is and then, then take it on into the facts. So I think that kind of constructing an argument and presenting an argument is a huge skill that I got from mooting that I now see barristers do. And quite frankly, I watch barristers, some barristers do it more poorly than I've seen my mooting colleagues do it. I've mm. seen better written submissions from mooters than I have from some barristers and some instructing solicitors. Mm. So I cannot overstate just how important mooting is for your professional career. And this is even if you don't want to be, you know, an oral advocate, right? Just things like written submissions, things like putting together a, a case. Because if you're a solicitor, you'll have to brief a barrister at some point if you, if you are a solicitor. You know, mm. you will be involved in the writing and the drafting and the research for written submissions. You might assist the barrister in putting together some of their thoughts and their notes for them to deliver the mm. oral argument. You'll work closely with them. So even if it's not the actual oral speaking verbal skills in terms of, you know, tone, pace, presentation, confidence, all of those sorts of things, I would say that actually the biggest gain is just case preparation uh, and case presentation that was, you know, it's massive. I, like I said, I can't overstate it. And whilst I'm not actually doing those things, I have gone to employers and I've, to I've told them I have these skills and some of them dismiss you, but a lot of them actually know if you worked on a particularly big moot, like an intervarsity one or a international one, they go, oh, wow, they've, they've actually, mm. you know, Mm. a big a big case and so they take that as almost experience because it is quite similar in fact I would say you get asked less questions in court because the judge has to be a little bit more um you know uh, you know sort of unbiased if you will mm. and I think my my question sort of leads on from that a little bit in terms of like looking to going to employers with um, your mooting experience and that kind of thing. If someone um, is looking to pursue an area in a particular field, is there any benefit in focusing on particular moots? Like, for example, you did Jessup. Should people looking to pursue international law as a career look to that? Like, do you, you get the gist of my question? Yes, yes. And 100%. But at the same time, that shouldn't dissuade you from doing other mm. moots, if that makes sense. So the, the thing with the big moots like your Nelson Mandela's and your Jessup's, your Jessup's in particular, is that when you do them, you become a part of this, they say a family, it's a cult, all right? I'll, I'll admit it, it's a cult. <laughs> uh, and, you know... Like, we'll call it a network. It's a network. Better word, better word. It's a very, very tight-knit network uh, that you will never... <laughs> uh, but... You know, for example, Justice Edelman on the High Court, he did Jessup like in the 90s or something. And as soon as you tell him, you know, I did Jessup, it's like, oh, I did Jessup too. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of barristers that are like that. There's a whole bunch mm. of, of, you know, senior lawyers that are very much yeah. like that. Or, you know, my the, the judge that I work for didn't specifically do Jessup, but he did a lot of mooting in in uni. And he, like, he was like, that's the, the best memories I have from university. You know, it's the best teaching that you can get because it's actual experience without being put before an actual judge because you legally can't be. Um, 
so yes, absolutely. Because if you go into the specific subject area ones for the area that you want to practice in, you know, Jessup, doing Jessup opens up the pathways into the big international firms because all the big international firms sponsor Jessup. Mm. And their partners and their senior associates judge the rounds, mm. you know, and I'm assuming it's the same in the other big international moots. I haven't done them. But the thing is that that's the exposure, right? When I did the ALSA International Humanitarian Law moot, one of the judges was a military legal officer. I want to go and be a military legal officer. Um, he tried to sass me. I sassed him back. It was a good time. <laughs> but, you know, it's you. It's not just that you're learning about the subject area and it's mm-hmm. not just that you're getting the case management skills, but you are opening yourself up to a network mm. of people who mm. practice in the areas that you want to go in, which I think is another important thing that people don't often think about because practitioners who are really passionate about an area or who are really passionate about mooting are involved in mooting. Mm. Mm. And it's a great way to start that that professional network. Oh, absolutely. I can only speak from my limited like experience so far, but it, the networks that you build are just absolutely incredible. And I'm even most of our internal um, competitions are sponsored. So just building those networks, um, like Sammy mm-hmm. and I have had opportunities to go and meet sponsors in their firms. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's such an, you can't get the experience anywhere else. It's, it's no. great. Abby, you've mentioned before that, the skills that mooting does teach you, they're very useful in the context of being an advocate, particularly when it comes to written submissions, knowing how to converse with a judge and how to speak clearly and really apply those skills in a real world context. Are there any other avenues that students can go down in terms of preparing for a career in all advocacy, whether it's to practice as a barrister or just to see where everything ends up? Uh, my first recommendation is the job that I currently have. Being a judge's associate is the next best thing, I would say. Uh, look, there's a lot of debate about does it help or does it hinder your career to come out of law school, to come out of PLT and then go and not practice? Like, you know, I've been admitted for six months now uh, and, and I haven't practiced because I'm, a, I'm an associate. Mm. But the sheer exposure that you get is just invaluable you know I'm paid Mm. to watch advocacy every single day and then Mm. I go back to chambers and I discuss with the judge what was good what was bad and you know I pick up things then that I can then incorporate in for myself you know Mm. I've even Mm. started putting together a do and do not uh, list of things to say to a judge one of which is you should not reply to a question with well it's obviously the Magna Carta your honor (laughs) Right, (laughs) and and just things like that. That actually came from a barrister. Um, Another barrister, yep. Another barrister told the court that um, she was going to instruct her client not to follow the court's orders. That's another thing you shouldn't say to a judge. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. That is wild. So wild, you know. (laughs) The family court in particular. I I was gonna. That's how I was thinking. Are you in the family court? Why is the Magna Carta being? Oh, because self-represented litigants think it's the answer to all of their prayers. There's nothing that gave more- that gave you that gave me just the huge like it's the vibe of the thing like straight out of the castle vibes. Massively, massively. I've got so many stories, of <laughs> stuff mm-hmm. that I have seen in court. I have been sent nude photos as the associate as proof that a marriage was still ongoing. You know, 
I've I've heard mm. self-represented litigants say that because one of the local councils was issuing parking fines, that they have a monopoly on the market and that they're acting as a cartel, which is contrary to the Competition and Consumer Act, Your Honour. And, you know, just wild, wild stuff. And mm. But as an advocate, if you're the advocate against a self-represented litigant, you need to, like, learn how to deal with that. Mm. Yeah, true. If you've got a judge that's particularly questioning or a judge that's particularly quiet, you've got to learn how to deal with that. And mm. one of the great ways to do that is to go and be an associate, see the inner workings of a judge's mind, but also, like, watching advocacy done every day. So my second recommendation would be, Go and watch court. Mm. If it were not for, what was it, civil and criminal procedure, I could have graduated my law degree without ever stepping foot inside a courtroom. And that just blows my mind. Like, mm. you know, my, my now fiancé is a, is a doctor. There is no way you would have him do a five-year medical degree having never gone into a hospital and then just let him loose and be like, okay, can you, you know, put, put a catheter in this guy? Like, you know, there's no way that you would ever do that, but that's the expectation in law. And I think it's a very uh, unrealistic one because if you're a junior solicitor, and I know quite a few of my friends who've gone on to practice have been stabbed with this, they'll get thrown into a directions hearing list and directions lists are wild. Mm. You know, you, you'll just have a registrar or a duty judge just sitting there just pumping through like 40 cases and they'll call your case and then they'll be like, who do I have for the plaintiff? Who do I have for the defendant? Okay, what do you want, basically, is, is essentially the question mm. asked. Like, why mm. are we here? What do you want? And you need to very quickly and clearly say, this matter needs a mediation. We want it adjourned for a mediation because we couldn't get an expert until X day, right? Mm. So it's seeing things like that done, I think, is the only way, other than doing it and other than practicing it at mooting, it's mm -hmm. the only other way to, to get exposure. So I would recommend doing more than just your eight hours court observation in civil and criminal procedure. It also makes you a lot more comfortable in a courtroom. A courtroom is a very imposing place. Like I was, I was a nervous wreck on my first day in court. Um, but now, now that I'm in there, I just breeze in and out of there and people look at me like, you know, what's, what's she <laughs> doing? You know, so much confidence. Wow. And it's literally just because you realize it's just a room where a whole bunch of people wear stupid outfits. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's not, it's not this really scary, imposing place. Mm. And yeah. the things that you do in mooting aren't all that different from what's done in the courtroom. It's just that the consequences, I suppose, are a bit, big, bit bigger because, you know, it's mm. the real world. Yeah. So, yeah, my number, one, my, my number one tip would be try and find an associate job or a tip staff job. So mm. the Federal Circuit and Family Court's a great place for that because every judge has two associates. Mm. So, and, and there's, there's lots of judges. Uh, the district court, the Supreme Court, the full federal court, hell, you can go whole hog and try and get into the, the high court if you want. Um, yeah. But there are lots of offerings. It's a 12-month contract, which can be extended, but then you've, you've suddenly got 12 months of court exposure mm. before you then step into a junior uh, solicitor role. Or I've seen actually a lot of associates go straight to the bar because they're like, I actually know how this is done now. I think um. I can give it a red hot crack. Yeah. So, you know, watching court, whether that be in your job or in your spare time, would be my recommendation. Mm -hmm. That sheer exposure that you get from being in that environment, it teaches you a lot in terms of not only what to do, but as you said, what not to do. So I think those are very, very sought after insights, particularly from students who wish to one day practice in the profession. So I think those and are it's free entertainment. 
the court is the most entertaining place in the world. There's so much random stuff just just happens and you wouldn't believe it because, you know, you're dealing with the human condition, right? You've got people who are getting divorced, people who are fighting over kids, um, people who are fighting over huge sums of money, people who've been injured and who've been wronged and who've committed crimes potentially, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a place where anything could happen and I, I just find it a lot of fun. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to ask the both of you as we wrap up is reflecting on your own experiences what piece of advice would you give to students hoping to one day practice in the legal profession and develop their own advocacy skills? So I've got a Taylor first and then Abby. Um, definitely get involved in, well, obviously mooting, but I think just getting involved in things outside of rocking up to your classes um, two days a week and reading the textbook, like find whatever way to further develop your interests and your passions in law school so whether that be you know there's other things that moles does in terms of writing for the brief or professional skills whatever you know floats your boat just do things like push yourself extend yourself find where things that find things that challenge you but in a good way in a way that like keeps you interested and intrigued and wanting to learn more I think that there's so much to get out of law school but you only get out what you put in so Mm. put in lots and you'll get out lots that's my hot take couldn't couldn't agree more I actually really regret not taking law school by the horns and you know giving it a red hot crack and for a hot minute there you know sort of second third year when you're doing those subjects at least in my opinion that you're just like oh this is a drag Mm. it's you you lose the passion and you lose the sight of you know why am I there and you just rock up for your bare minimum yeah your two classes a week whatever so like moot 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 is my number one number one recommendation it's so much fun and it's so much good experience and you know you make such close friends so even if you're not looking to get into it from a you know from from a professional development standpoint or a you know competitive standpoint you you'll meet some really awesome like-minded people uh, who'll be, you know, around forever and, and really close friends. So yeah, get involved in mooting, get involved in other competitions if that's your thing. I mean, I can't speak to it because I only ever mooted. And yeah, take, take up those, take up those opportunities. I know that, for example, as a different idea, the Law Society, you know, being the body that you're going to go and join and get your practicing certificate with, I'm pretty sure they've got free membership for law students mm-hmm. so that you can get involved in their networking events and you can also get involved in their interest panels. Like I'm pretty sure there's like an animal law interest panel. There's a criminal law one, right? So you mm. can go and meet like-minded people, particularly now that we're getting out of COVID, you know, go, go in and see some mm. people, go to the networking events, go to the, you know, the, the open days and whatnot and just, yeah, just get involved. I think, you know, it's it's very easy to fall into the trap of, yeah, just doing my online lectures and grinding it out for five years. Uh, but mm. I think, and this is going to sound so cliche, but I really regret <laughs> wasting my time in law school. I really, re- you know, I wish I was back in uni uh, so that I could, could really take a hold of all those opportunities. Uh, I got there in the end, but I left my run a little bit too late. So, yeah, mm. get involved, get involved in competitions. But look outside the law school as well would be yeah. my recommendation to Taylor. Just to build off um, what Abby said as well, um, not just the um, Law Society of New South Wales has those interest panels, but there's also like 
societies and groups for different practice areas as well like communications and media law have one and they do some really amazing stuff like Mm -hmm. they had a music in the law series and it was fascinating so like there's a a lot of different ways that you can you know learn more about areas of law that really interest you even if you're stuck doing you know consties or admin or whatever you know subject that you're doing that you're not loving um, yeah. There are ways to kind of like still find interest in the law outside of the priestly 11. Yeah, and especially if you are interested in being more involved in the community, there are organisations such as DWL, Diverse Women in Law, where you can be a volunteer mm. and really see not only how the speaker panels work, but also attend them and hear all those insights from all those people in the profession. I think those are absolutely invaluable and you can learn a lot from hearing someone mm. else speak from their experience. DWL is particularly good. Uh, I've been to a couple of their events and yeah, you know, I'm yeah. meeting judges and barristers and I'm meeting women who have like the, the career that I want and I'm like, teach me your ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's honestly incredible. Taylor, Abby, thank you so, so much for giving up your time. Understanding all advocacy and rooting specifically is already a very complex endeavor. And so I'm very grateful to have had the chance to chat with you both about it because it's very rare to hear about all of this from the perspectives of current and former competitors. So thank you both so very, very much for joining me. No, thank you for having us.